0: This episode of the podcast has been brought to you by Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is an inclusive, socially conscious PR collective that puts their money where their mouth is. They have a current roster of bands that reads like a greatest hits anthology. Brainiac, Catholic School, Jawbox, The New Amsterdam's, Oceans in the Sky. I mean, the list goes on and on. They also do PR for record labels, such as A La Carte, Arctic Rodeo, Steadfast, Rad Girlfriend, and so many more. How did they pay it forward? How do they put their money where their mouth is? By generating thousands of dollars in annual charitable donations to the likes of Women in Vinyl, Coalition of Communities of Color, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, and many, many more. The man has the receipts. I've seen them. It is real. The artists, labels, and podcasts Sweet Cheetah works with are curated, with an eye on working primarily with friends. You can find Sweet Cheetah on all of the social media platforms, be it Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just look for Sweet Cheetah PR, and they will be there. He's been Tim, I've been Peter, and Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I'm your host, Peter, and I am still here. Somehow, I'm still here. On tonight's episode, I give to you Liam Frost of the group Oceans in the Sky. Oceans in the Sky has been together for quite a few years now, but parallels the new record just dropped pretty recently on heading east records we're talking about an amalgamation of everything from chamber pop to power pop to pop punk you notice how pop keeps coming in there and that's not a bad thing folks this is pop in the best way possible in the beatles of it all uh we really love this record over here and if you haven't already heard it I believe you will as well. I had a great time with Liam. Uh, Really fun, interesting, cultured, worldly human. Uh, A lot of just great insights into uh, creating music and living a a transcontinental life. Um, More about him in a second. I know people get a little bummed out on the whole uh, self-promotion Aspect of uh, advertising, me advertising myself. But hey, it's my show. I'm not trying to get you to give me money. I just want people to listen. You know the rigmarole share, subscribe, blah, 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 blah. If you dig me, let people know you dig me. That's all I'm going to say about that. Done. I do want you all to know something, though. I've been at this for, oh, gosh, two years, two years, and, you know, it's it's it takes a lot of effort on my part just to get one episode a week put out. That's why sometimes it comes out on Friday, sometimes on Sunday. I can't really control that. Life happens, and I apologize for that. But I do love doing it, and I hope you love it as much as I do. So I will be sharing with you some of the singles from this record, Parallels. Um, They're all great, but right off the top, I want to share with you my favorite, entitled Taipei. This has all of the melancholy, yet all of the bombast and the musicianship, all of the strengths, Of oceans in the sky are present in this track. I hope you enjoy it.
1: Taipei. i left my heart in Taipei. Well, Boshin Tai Taipei.
0: Dear God, what I a song.
1: Left my heart in Taipei.
0: And with that, I give to you Liam Frost, Oceans in the Sky, on the book. A very, very bad things podcast. So this is your maiden voyage, your first podcast experience, correct? Yeah, yeah. My excited goodness. to be here. I'm excited <laughs> to have you and to be anyone's first anything. That it's pretty incredible. Um oh, so yeah. I, I I want to just jump right in and kind of ask you like. Parallels. This is a, this is a record that does not marry, uh, uh, one, one sound, one style. The only thing that unites it is your voice, like very mellifluous, very, you know, uh, sweeping in scope. Uh, I kind of have to wonder like your musical journey, where did it start? Like when you were a kid, when you first fell in love with music and said to yourself, this is what I want. This is what's that aha moment for you. Sure. Um,
2: yeah, it started really young, uh, so have to give a lot of credit to my parents, um, who are both classical musicians, actually, um, and so hearing them play and sing beautiful music all the time, I was enamored and uh, could not wait to start playing music, um, so I remember being really little, being told I couldn't learn piano yet. Cause my fingers were literally too small. Um, so, so from a very early age, I was enamored with, with music and instruments. Um, the first moment, um, th- the first thing I fell in love with in terms of being a, a fan, uh, was probably Weezer's blue album. Yeah. Um, and that definitely had a major effect on me and as did, you know, a ton of records as a kid. But, um, yeah, got into listening to a lot of cool stuff really early. Um, you know, I might've been in first grade. Um, and it's all because of my older brother who was also into music very early, but was a couple of years older than me. Um, and yeah, we were just obsessed. We were, we're not the tape generation, but we we were listening to tapes, yeah. uh, CDs. I don't know what year CDs came around, but um, yeah, so we think, were I we were the on eighties.
0: I think the late eighties. I mean, I didn't get okay. CD, I didn't get a CD player until nineteen ninety one, and as you right. can see behind me, I never really got too deeply into CDs. I was a vinyl yeah. guy because that was yeah. Like, I'm going to be 47. That was my generation, you know what I mean? Gotcha. But like you you mentioned the blue album. <clears throat> yes. I mean, I was already in college when that came out and there was something very uh, you know, um it, it bridged a gap, right? It was between it, it it took aspects of the Clash and the Sex Pistols and aspects of the Beatles and, and Buddy Holly yep. uh and 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 you know, it was a great cross-section of what the spirit of rock and roll meant to a lot of different generations. But Rivers Cuomo has this knack for distilling the, the best parts of all of these things and, and, and making them austere and real and hard on sleeve. You know, I, I don't yes. know if he still does that because <laughs> I'm, yeah. not, I'm not shitting on Weezer's later sure. period, yeah. but the, the first two records were really magical. Definitely, Um, I could see how that could be a great jumping-off point for what you're doing, but I can also see how your parents could be a very big uh, part of that puzzle as far as your sound's concerned. Because it it it, it's not classical, but there are aspects of it that you can glean that from. You know, I'm 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 the son of a jazz drummer. Jazz was more my uh, my, part of my DNA, but it's It's not in my music I can tell there's a classical element to what you're doing. so when you first started playing music, how old were you? like truly um i was
2: I would have to ask my parents I was probably five or six um, little little kid at yeah. the piano yeah <laughs> um so that was you know my parents were my first teachers, music teachers, both my parents play piano. Um, and, uh, yeah, so very few memories of my early childhood, but definitely remember sitting at the piano.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So when you're putting this record together, did you have like, you know, a, a past in playing with other bands before you did this?
2: Totally. Um, I'll say I didn't play in a ton of bands. I definitely uh, played in a lot of chamber music groups and orchestras and um, also jazz band. I played a lot of jazz, too, Um, so played a lot of music with different people, Um, definitely played in some more pop rock bands. Um, And basically, this project started uh, about a decade ago now. And really just came from being in college and playing music with friends and, you know, having a good time playing one-off shows and covering other bands and and throwing in an original or two of mine. But my friends were just not as serious about writing songs and wanted to get high and jam, which, you know, college, I understand. Sure. Uh, but uh so that's kind of how it happened where i was like all right well let me try uh writing all the parts and then my friends will just play play these songs with me because i need to write songs and uh so that's how it started it it is um i guess it's a solo project it feels more like a collective at this point but um
0: that's how it started and there seems to be like an overarching theme uh, lyrically to everything that you've done on this record. Did, was that like something you'd set out to do or did it just sort of come together that way?
2: It mostly came together that way. Um, you know, I write a lot of songs about looking for my place in the world, looking for a sense of belonging, whether it's in people or, uh, a place, um,
0: Fear of yeah, think uh, that, not living up to your potential, which that that, yes. that comes into, <laughs> into play quite prominently.
2: Definitely. Um, and so that's just naturally what I wrote about because that's how I was feeling. And especially, um, you know, I'm half Taiwanese, so I've spent a lot of my life in Taiwan and a lot here, obviously. Um, and so that's sort of a feeling I've always felt. And um, it's also very tied in with music and how music f- makes me feel uh at home and and how a lot of my favorite artists you know that's how they made me feel so a lot of it is singing about music uh but uh yeah it kind of happened and then when i had like a couple more songs to write i was like man i'm realizing i'm kind of writing about a similar theme here um let's keep it going for the last couple tracks you know, making them different, but, but in that general theme. And, um, so it kind of happened naturally.
0: And, and musically speaking, and there's not one song that's exactly the same. They fit together well, but you're not following a formula because there are like these really melodic, almost punk anthems and pop punk type anthems mixed in with what could be construed as chamber music almost. Uh, and then the acoustic tracks like everything does not marry a specific sound that but it but it works together and that's important you don't find a whole lot of that uh ever in any uh era era (laughs) or genre of music uh and you could forgive people for that i mean social distortion is one of my favorite bands you're gonna you buy the next one that comes out it's pretty much gonna be sounding like you know, a a mixture of punk and fifties rock and roll. You can count on that. That's great. Great. You know, but this isn't that kind of group. Yeah. That's that's what (laughs) I'm getting from this, just from the first record. Totally. Um, So when you're, you're taking this and, and trying to get it released, uh, who, how do you kind of get noticed for that?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, it was interesting when I was pitching to labels. It took me took me a couple of days to really figure out what I was going to how I was going to describe the album because it's uh it's hard to sum up. Yeah, it is. <laughs> in a single genre or you know, it is countless genres. Um I think yeah, like you said, um each song is different from the last. Uh I think the reason they work together, obviously, besides, you know, just being me writing them and having a certain melodic style that and obviously my voice being a constant uh, throughout, I think, with a couple exceptions, um, regardless of whether it's more pop or more punk, more synth or more guitar, I love high energy music. Um, And so I think that is another thing that that ties it together definitely you know how did i describe it when i was pitching was a, a, a little while ago now but uh something like you know countless um genres but but uh, a punk energy throughout high energy throughout and um focus on catchy melodies and uh a
0: a mixture of uh sounds yeah Yeah. And, and when you approached it, like you caught a lot of ears really quickly because like it bubbled up to me very, very fast. As soon as like, it was before the record even came out, but like people, people were filtering this name my way constantly. And I was like, well, we'll play it for me. Oh, I I don't have it, but I heard it. Yeah. And okay, well play it for me. So yeah. when it finally did make it uh, my way, <clears throat> I don't know what I was expecting exactly because no one could tell me. Right, And I think, <laughs> I think, I think that's a strength because there's no preconceived notion. You know what I mean? Like right. no, no one could say, oh, they sound like, uh, you know, the Dillinger escape plan or they sound like, right. you know, public enemy or whoever. You yeah. know? It, it had its own, vi- it was resonating with its own vibration that is something that comes along only once in a great while, like uh okay computer when it came out, when I was trying to explain that to my friends, they're like, Oh, oh, so is it like the Benz or is it like Pablo honey? I was like, no, it's more like if, if pink Floyd uh, were smoking crack and reading Philip K. Dick novels, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> like well, that doesn't help me at all. I said, Oh, well, I can't help yeah. you then. You know, sometimes there's, something almost inquantifiable about great music like try and explain ornette Coleman to someone who's never heard jazz right or, or um, break down what what modal jazz is about to the uninitiated like hey totally. you've never heard kind of blue you're never gonna know what this means nope. Um, that's I don't I don't get that too much so it's pretty exciting to me um, so, is that kind of why you named it Parallels? So the name Parallels uh,
2: came from a couple things. Um, lyrically, like you kind of put your finger on, a lot of it is is uh, there's there's definitely some similar themes throughout. And a lot of it is that feeling of searching for a sense of belonging in the world and uh, I wrote half of the record in Taipei when I lived there and half of it in New York. So sort of about the parallels in my life, just no matter where I am, trying to trying to figure out where I should be. Um, uh, so lyrically, it's that. And um, similarly, musically, it wasn't something I set out to do, um, but I realized one of the most exciting things for me as a songwriter, as a producer, is when I find two things that on paper should not go together, uh, but they actually work really well in parallel to each other, um, you know, and especially with more Chinese uh, sounds, instruments. Um, my friend uh, Wan plays this instrument called pipa, yeah, on a bunch of songs on the record um really proud of uh our work together on that and um i love a lot of japanese music too the more synth poppy songs are maybe more influenced by japanese pop than american pop
0: um and just you know tra- throw, throwing sorry that, go ahead. that japanese pop is so gothy in 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 uh it's it's delivery there there's something really uh there's something up in japan because when they make music that maybe originated in the states they actually expound upon it in such a way that makes it undeniably japanese japanese hardcore is the most extreme version of hardcore on planet earth the same thing with 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 any post-punk or 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 goth music that that um gets translated by the Japanese, it just, it, it becomes something other. It's so incredible.
2: Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think melodically Japanese pop music is so interesting. It's so, and and so much of it is because of the language, Um, you know, they can stretch syllables in a way that we can't in English. Um, And so they can have these very, you know, staccato, like very, um, just weird melodies that could not work in English and would sound silly if you sang it in English, but sounds so cool in Japanese, you know. Um, and production wise, really, really cool stuff.
0: Yeah. And on this record, not all of the lyrics are in English, which is it's fun for me because <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, I, I like a lot of Japanese and and like songs in Mandarin, things of that nature. I, I i dig it but kind of tell me about that bent for you like where you were coming from with all of that yeah um uh, to be honest not too much
2: thought went into went into that part of it right you know i was living in taiwan um i don't know maybe 70 80 of my life was in chinese uh so it just made sense to try to do certain songs made sense in chinese certain songs didn't um and also uh, talking about melody like some songs work better in chinese than english and and vice versa you know taipei i thought i wrote in chinese because i was like well this is the song to write in chinese but there's too much Um, I don't remember exactly why, but it just didn't sound as good in Chinese. And so I wrote, you know, mostly English and kept the few lines in Chinese that, that sounded great and made sense in Chinese and hit harder. Um, but yeah, mainly just, uh, because of living life in, in different languages and that being a part of me and, and. Clearly, I I like challenging myself to uh, <laughs> you know try different things. So uh, you know things like that I see as a fun challenge. Now, um,
0: now that when you say Chinese, though, are we talking Mandarin? What what which language are we speaking of?
2: Yes. Yeah, so uh, I speak Mandarin. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of Japanese on the record. I speak Japanese too, but. Um, not not nearly as well as as
0: Mandarin. But you're a polyglot. That is uh, that's impressive. My wife is a polyglot <laughs> as well, and it's almost it it's daunting because I, having grown up speaking a little like more than a little Polish, uh, yeah, as a child, and losing it uh, yeah. due to due to a lack of practice, you know, I I I almost feel like, you know, you're not better, but certainly you have a leg up on me that you can speak <laughs> no, all these different no, no. languages. Like my, my, <laughs> my wife speaks Spanish and Portuguese and, and very intellectual human being, very, very yeah. adept. Uh, sure. I, I, I'm lucky I have an English degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I can say uh, with a great degree of certainty too, that there is a, a, a very big market for not only music sung in mandarin or, or japanese but uh all of asia there korea even there's there's a market for that in the united states that i find surprising and refreshing there's been like a major rise of it i think it started in the early 2000s when uh bands like deer and gray became popular but hmm. now it's the pop thing too it's wild to see yeah. i I don't even know what to blame for it <laughs> Yeah,
2: um, I think there's so much amazing music out there and I think your average American in the 90s, 2000s, you know, hears a song in a different language and, you know, at that time it was like not a cool thing, you know, it's different times. Yeah, uh, You know, it wasn't cool when I was little to speak Chinese and it's cool now, you know, um, so I think the world's gotten... America has gotten a little more open-minded, even though it doesn't seem like it. Um, overall, <laughs>
0: no, I, I watched it backpedal quite quite horribly over the past few years. But
2: yeah, yes,
0: um, in
2: in some ways, uh, you know, um, and I think this is one of those ways. You see a lot of Spanish music is huge. Uh, Korean music, obviously. Haven't seen too much Chinese and and Japanese music blow up, but uh, but hopefully because there's such awesome stuff, it is a little weirder compared to.
0: Think know. of think of like <laughs> the classical music from both aforementioned countries. They have a, a very unique style, and you know, there's it almost smacks of their cultures, um, especially when considering china and japan because they were adversarial um even to the untrained ear their classical musics uh may sound similar to someone who doesn't know much about music but when you really right. listen to it they're vastly dissimilar it's it's like the difference between Rachmaninoff and wagner you, you know they're both dark but yeah. you know wagner is uh nationalistic and and like the soundtrack to the nazis whereas you know yep. rachmaninoff that's that's actual depressed like that's someone staring into the void and realizing the void staring back at them that's how i uh, that's how i kind of like explain him um th- those are the dissimilarities between the two it's totally it may and it, to me it makes sense that you know that that classical kind of flavor comes into play Um, even more so towards the back end of your, of parallels. There, there's, there's something, it becomes more orchestral at points. Um, Was that natural instruments or did you synthesize them? How, How did that come into, how did you kind of put that together?
2: Yeah. Um, trying to think of the back half um you know definitely it's most much more acoustic uh in terms of you know definitely plenty of electric guitar but um much more real instruments uh yeah it wasn't um you know with with the sequencing uh it was Trying to remember, but um, it it felt uh, like the sort of bigger, poppier songs at the start and get getting darker and more acoustic um, felt, you know, maybe it was my bias of that's mostly how the songs were written, uh, whether, you know, that's a sign of being not as happy the past few years or not, I don't know. But um, definitely you know i love I love all kinds of music and you know <laughs> uh, definitely a big uh, part of, of of what I love um uh, music in general is is pretty finger picking guitar and um for whatever reason those songs seem to work better uh closer together and towards the end um and uh in terms of the arrangements and why they seem more orchestral and um i think uh that's just more where my head's been at the past few years is um you know uh thinking of of strings and and chinese instruments and um so that's kind of how it happened yeah
0: there's a a very modeling (laughs) (laughs) like there's there's a a tactile sadness to the latter half of the record too that I I mean it's well served by the orchestral acoustic vibe but there's 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 uplift in here too that I think is pretty obvious because I mean you have these very triumphant moments in even the darkest songs i can tell kind of you know you did like the 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 almost angels and airwaves kind of vibe or what have you um but i i think more so there's a lot of like almost glam rock somewhere in there and i'm talking Mm -hmm. 70s glam like t-rex David Bowie type stuff th- does that figure pretty largely into your purview um, definitely Bowie um
2: i and and more I'm trying to think of specific inspirations for those songs um definitely there's this one Japanese producer that maybe has influenced me is up there in terms of the, the more electronic synth pop stuff, um, who goes, his name is Yasutaka Nakata. And, um, he's just an insanely talented producer and, um, a lot of weird, uh, cool sounds, uh, and endless hooks and, uh, a lot of really cool kind of seventies guitars. Um, Dancy, but rock pop, but also has um, kind of a little bit um, sad melodies, stuff like that. Um, So definitely him and um, some more, some newer artists. I'm definitely influenced by Passion Pit uh, and Phoenix. I think are really cool too. Um, for that, that side of it, definitely big influences.
0: Yeah. It's kind of a shame seeing, uh, you know, bands like them, like they're still around like passion pit or, uh, yep. MGMT that they, they were, yep. they were fantastic, but they flared up. And then, you know, as, as the cycles are that yes. you you watch them kind of like float off into the distance. Uh, what's upsetting, I think, about that is just the fact that there was such an immense talent in that little blip where those bands were starting to flare up. And right. just as quickly, attention spans shifted. Um, I'm not going to uh, beleaguer the point or belittle the bands that replaced them or the musicians sure. or, or artists that replaced them. But it seemed to me like it was it was a little short-lived. You know what I mean, like because like the, they were in the 2000s. I'm not going to talk about my era because it, we sure. we know I'm old. But like <laughs> in in the, in the like the the early to mid 2000s, you had that like next British rock movement, and then it was like you know the the pop punk thing got really big, and the scream emo screamo thing, or whatever you want to call it. Yep. And, and then indie rock got really awesome again and you had mgmt you had passion pit you had uh phoenix and and all those sorts of bands it it just it seems to me like attention spans are shorter and shorter and shorter how do you think an artist can like really find staying power in this climate yeah uh
2: good question um you know, it, it's just kind of how it goes, right? With, uh, you know, um, I'm put in this kind of pop punk emo camp some of the time, put in the more pop electronic synth pop some of the time. And um, definitely with the pop punk emo, there was that was not popular for a while there. Yeah. <laughs> and now it seems to be coming back. So I, I think you just make what you love. You know, none of these songs I made. Uh, you know, like uh, it's great that uh, you know pop punk and stuff seems to be coming back. I, that didn't affect my songwriting at all. You know, yeah. Uh, you can't you can't go by what's popular. You just have to make what speaks to you. And um, I think I mean it's it's tough because people people trying to work people trying to you know, make a career out of it. So do, do whatever's right for you, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I have a very specific songwriting style that's very tied to melody. Um, and whatever melody comes out of me, I try to build the world around that. So, you know, Song of the Summer is a, is a track on the record. That's very, the most pop song, probably very, uh, synth pop dance type of stuff, very J pop influenced, you know, that started on guitar. That was like, could have been a a cool pop punk song. Uh, that's how it started and came to me, but you know, you got to look at it objectively and be like, what, what kind of melody is this? What's what, what kind of world is gonna, gonna, you know, make this melody, hopefully, um, the best or close to the best that I can make it. Um, So that's my style and uh, in service of the song, really in service of the song in service of the melody. Um, So uh, yeah, I've never personally never made a decision of like, let me make what's popular, but you know, like you said, Radiohead with the bends, like they didn't love that record. And that was the record that started their career. And now they're, crazy respected so there's yeah. no right or wrong way just whatever you
0: just make the decisions that, that feel right at the time i'll never i'll never understand why they don't like that record that's when i started to like it's them. a great I, record yeah i i don't like their first <laughs> album yeah. i don't like it well it, that that has to do with semantics because at that time period it was the early 90s i was a hardcore kid you know what I sure. mean? I, I was listening to Minor Threat and Gorilla Biscuits. I didn't care about a like proto-grunge band or whatever they were con- considering themselves at the time. And they probably yeah. didn't consider themselves that, but it didn't strike me as anything too artistic. Then mm-hmm. that comes along and I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know they're into some cool stuff here. They're they're not just trying to be the British answer to this that or the other. And with your record, as we've been kind of like dancing around, it there are elements of the like I guess melodic pop punk thing or whatever in it. But to me, it doesn't really align with that. To me, it aligns more with something more progressive, more maybe like uh, at the drive-in when they were really starting to feel themselves like, because it, and not in sound just in the fact that it doesn't care about what it sounds like. I don't think you, I don't think you care about what it aligns with. I think you care about how it makes you feel and how it sounds because you're a producer too. Correct. Yes. Um, yeah. So I
2: produced most of the songs on the record or co-produced, um, And yeah, I mean, I admire bands like you were saying, who have a sound, Uh, you know, who you know what kind of sound you're going to get from them. And it's your favorite band and they deliver and it's amazing. Um, I, you know, part of me wishes I could do that and do a full record of one sound. I think that's really cool. I think it was, I think I read Brian Eno was saying how, you know, either you're a farmer or a cowboy Mm -hmm. and, you know, either you have your crops and you're just trying to make the best tomato and each year it gets a little better until you're making the best, you know, tomato you could make or you're a cowboy and, you know, you just want to explore, you just want to try different things. Um, and weirdly I feel, I feel bad about creating something that feels similar to something I created before. I'm like, what am I doing? Repeating myself here. Yeah. So it's way more exciting and, and interesting to me to, to try to make something, um, completely different and, and be beat. There's something about being an amateur, about you know not really knowing what you're doing that brings out uh really interesting creative choices i think and
0: um, yeah, that's that's the mother of of the true like artist really just feeling around them in the dark until something makes sense and you know there is merit like you said to making just the best you know verse chorus verse that you can and churning that out and making it better every time but in all reality, all of my favorite favorite artists, musicians, uh, they they did something different every time. That's why Kind of Blue doesn't sound like Bitches Brew. Yep. You know what I mean? That that's a, a, a there one's a quantum leap from the other. And you know, not to beat Miles Davis to death, but like that is a career trajectory that one couldn't possibly set a watch to. You know what yep. I mean? Like that's just tectonic shift on tectonic shift. Same thing with Ornette Coleman, same thing with John Coltrane. You know, these are people that took <laughs> giant steps <laughs> as it were, you know what I mean? Yep. That these cool. are, people, they didn't, they didn't care about what everyone would think of it. They cared about the adventure of it, how it would make them feel. I get that from this. I don't know if everybody's going to get that from this because I'm a massive music nerd but I really I really did get that from this even within the confines of the album. You know, that's important. And I think it's about emotion for you too in a big way. Which kind of leads me to the only question that I have pre-prescribed for every artist. It's the only sure. thing that comes every episode and that is what is it that inspires an existential terror in you that dread I think about for sure
2: um, yeah I, I mean once because I produce these songs you know now that they're all you know done for a while now uh, it all, it's all just like, well, no chances taken, you know, this is how I meant for these songs to turn out. Um, but definitely at the time, you know, I had the thoughts of, of uh, you know, our people are going to be like, what's with the Chinese song? What's with, you know, this sound, I haven't heard. I, I'm a pop punk guy. Why is there a pop song on here? Um, Definitely that feeling of, um, like, is it going to be a miss for most people because it's, it's too diverse. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and I had some anxiety about putting out this larger body of work where it's a lot of extremely personal things lyrically. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, You know, that's just how I do things. There was never, when I was actually making it, there was never a question. It was after it was done uh, that I was like, oh man, (laughs) I really, I'm really doing this here.
0: Yeah. Well, (laughs) I mean, there's that, there's that really big aspect of like disrobing in front of strangers that comes with being a musician i mean i i I too am a musician i'm not i'm not at your level and i'm much older than (laughs) you but uh there's that part of you that you're giving something of yourself that's so raw and and so precious right and you're unveiling it you're 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 laying yourself bare in front of you know the world at large that can be daunting that can be Terrifying. It takes a, a certain amount of gumption to allow yourself to be that vulnerable in front of the entire world. And doing it with uh, a zeal and uh, a sense of melodicism, <clears throat> it's a strength uh, that I kind of have to applaud you for because, like I said, when I'd heard this initially, Uh, I was, I was probably expecting something a little bit more by the numbers, and it took me, probably about, a minute and a half to figure out that that was not the case, Um, (laughs) which is a a a big compliment because as you look behind me, I own over, I own about seven thousand eight hundred pieces of music on vinyl oh my god yeah wow. I'm, I'm I have a sickness but i've been collecting since the <laughs> since the 80s uh very cool uh there's one thing that's congruent throughout the entirety of my collection and that is individualism uh I can't just buy anything anymore because space is at a premium i bought your record oh thank you uh, it that to me that is the ultimate cosine like I didn't go out looking for a promo of this I bought it. Sure. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. <laughs> so uh, if my if my listeners can take anything away from that, I mean I I paid for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. To me it was that worth it. And it was worth it in the same way that the Benz was worth it. That you know uh God, there I can't really draw too many parallels. <laughs> <laughs> to it because it doesn't you, you're you don't have many peers and and that's a strength um taking that into consideration uh what has the kind of temperature been like have people been really responding to it yeah definitely um
2: it's been interesting to see and and uh I think a lot of people sort of have their favorite songs. I I, I don't know if there's a ton of people who love the album as a whole, as of, you know, two months since release, um, hopefully. hopefully, but, uh, either way, um, very interesting to, to hear, um, and, and, you know, um, warms my heart to see that, that, Uh, it's meaningful to people. um, And that's ultimately the goal, right? Um, Beyond my own just necessary, you know, exercise of writing songs, um, the fact that anybody can um, feel anything that, 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 you know, is beyond just, something in the background is is uh is what it's all about and um yeah i mean the i don't want to sound braggy uh how do i summarize this <laughs> um, <laughs> the, you know uh, without going into too much detail but we went on tour in uh in january and and there there were kids singing along and the record had been out for a few days and and um and that was mind-blowing that was just like you know almost you know had to stop performing it was uh, obviously you know didn't didn't get anywhere near that but it was just like this is this is wild um so yeah uh lots of people listening you know a good amount of people sending messages and stuff and uh i don't know how all of those people feel about it obviously but um the people who have reached out, you know, um, and I'm sure some some of those people who, who love the record will listen to this, and um, I appreciate you uh,
0: a ton. Yeah. And I could say very honestly that uh, Ghost, Worlds, Taipei, and In the End, The Last Four Tracks, are my favorite songs on the record, but I have a very difficult time kind of like taking those parts out of the record It's I like the record I'm from an era that we were we were listeners of albums we weren't yep we we didn't just like oh I like this song and that song because if you only liked one or two songs guess what you didn't have the money to buy the whole album right so exactly. you weren't you weren't gonna buy it Yep. that's that is my generation um and the fact that you're reaching my generation is very cool too uh but i'm an album oriented era totally and you know we prized that as as a a badge of honor like this this whole album is that good that i had to yep buy it yep you know there's there's not a whole lot of that kind of thing it's a very singles driven era more so than ever um this is an album for people who like albums and, and that sounds trite, but in all honesty, that's a big deal. I do kind of. Ha- I wonder, and it's totally off topic. Sure. But uh, you, is Liam your birth name? Liam is my birth name. Yeah. That is so. I'm I'm half Irish, so to me, that okay. that that is like near and dear to me. That like I almost <laughs> I almost want to call you Lem because if your name is Liam and you're <laughs> Irish, your name is Lem. But um. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was... And your last name's Frost? My last name's Frost, That yeah. is That is absolutely, like, in all-time coolest names, that is, like, <laughs> that's, that's up there. That is ah, up, it. up there. <laughs> um, so both of your parents are, are Chinese? No, so oh. my dad is white.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and part Irish, I don't know what percentage. Um... But the names actually mostly came from a book that I should read. But every time I, I I only think about it every few years when someone asks me how I got my name. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, there are two brothers, Connor and Liam. I believe it's called the Trinity. which sounds very religious, but I don't, I have no idea. Uh, But uh, yeah,
0: my brother is Connor and I'm Liam. They just really like the names. Oh, that's very cool i um yeah I, having grown up with m- more than a few friends who are from were born in or are of chinese descent i mean one's name is Kwok, one's name is tron sure. um you know pretty common names there here yep. not so much but you know that that's what comes to mind for most people so mm-hmm. wh- when I hear a name, uh, Liam. It just—I don't know. It—it it, it feels at home to me because I've—I've yeah. I've been to Ireland a few times. I've met my family in Ireland, and there's probably about fifteen Liam's. <laughs> yeah, it's a big name mugger. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. But that was off topic. Uh, <laughs> where, where, um, where are you at with music videos? Now you have three, right?
2: Good question. We
0: have <laughs> we have two
2: oh, official have two. ones, um, and then I a, a bunch of like visualizers, animations. Um, so, but two two proper official videos that are out, and um, there will be more, but uh,
0: not uh, in the immediate future. Yeah, and you're. Uh publicist is tim correct yep yep yeah, he's one of my best friends oh uh, yeah tim and i are very close and i have to tell you i would have been interviewing you had he not been sure <laughs> uh, because i i really did dig, dig this and i wonder since you are such a, a prolific songwriter how close are you to the follow-up record Good question.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I am not close. Um, You know, I feel like I can tell you some information about the next thing. There will be some bonus tracks that are um, that didn't make the record that um, I'll put out in some way, Um, and we're discussing the best way to do that. So that's the next release. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I've, I've got a few songs uh, going. I decided to not pressure myself to put out a full length for the next one. I'd love to if it feels right. Um, and obviously, I, I made an album in an age of not making albums. I love albums. That's, you know, um, if I were able to do music all of the time, there would be no question. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, I part of me wants to do, you know, um, like uh, what my label mate, Fred, did, uh, and, and, and boss, uh, uh, Fred Mascherino um, of The Color Fred, who put out an incredible album uh, last year, called a year and change, yep. And they they did a song a month, um. And so I feel like that would be a fun thing to do and put less pressure on myself to release um, this finished body of work and and uh, just not uh, not put so much pressure on myself for the next one. While of course taking each song, you know, treating each song with a ton of care and, and whatever the song needs. But um that's where my head's at. We'll see what the next release becomes. I have a few cool things I'm working on, but um maybe not a full length for the next one. Maybe
0: something like what Fred did. Yeah. Well, he attacked that, I think in the right way too. He just kind of let it, let it be what it wanted to be. You know, it, it's not as if, we're not viewing a full album as 10 or more songs anymore. I mean, we have examples of everyone from Kanye West to Nas to, um, you know, like so many groups, a five or six song record being a complete work. Yeah. I I think that's okay. I think that's more than okay. Um, as long as they're of a same time period, same mood or, or, era or what have you as long as they're meant to be together right it's an album man yeah yeah. you know what i mean like uh i'm trying to think of a a really great example like like led zeppelin coda that was an Mm. eight song record right no Mm. one questioned that no one did it was led zeppelin they could do what they wanted but yeah why couldn't that be the full thought Why could, there's no ellipsis at the end of that. This, this is what it was beginning to end. Totally. There it is. I I think that's a beautiful thing. And I guess my last kind of like question, uh, would be, what would you like everyone to walk away from this record with? Oh, um, yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. I feel like just hopefully they, you know, and I put it in the liner notes, something along the lines of, I just hope it makes them feel something, you know, I can't uh, claim to, when I was writing this stuff, you know, uh, I wasn't thinking for a moment, like, you know, is this going to make someone feel sad or happy, you know? Uh, and that sounds selfish, but, uh, songwriting is just my way of processing, uh, what's happening in my life and going, what's going on around me. Um, and so I can't, uh, hope anyone comes away with it, uh, with anything, you know, whatever, whatever makes them feel. Hopefully I, I, I think it's a record that makes you feel something, um, and so, hopefully, it makes most people feel something and and has some kind of impact,
0: good or bad, on their lives. It, it made me I mean, feel. No. It kind of made me feel everything, from jubilation to to grief. Uh, there is an arc to it that you know. There's there's ebbs and flows, and that's fun. That makes for a very you know tactile listening experience to, you know, glean so many different emotions and to really get a sense of a journey, uh, from the album, which is, you know, what makes an album oriented group or, or project make sense to people. Uh, there, there's a, an emotional attachment to it because there is that entire story arc and that was so much fun for me i have to tell you and i will carry it with me and i'm very excited for this album i'm so glad it's a thing in the ether that people get to experience (laughs) and when the next thing happens would you be so kind as to come back on here and talk to me again of course man wonderful to meet you and and uh Thank you
2: for having me. Thank you for buying the record. I'm sorry we kind of skipped past that. That 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 means a ton to me. And um, yeah, I think maybe we are slightly different generations, but uh, you know we're definitely on the same page in terms of music fandom. And, and it's about the album for me, and that's how I made the record for you know the the kid in me who, who bought Weezer Blue three times because. I listened yeah. to it too much and it kept breaking. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it for it to reach people like you and people who, you know, have the attention span to sit down and and listen to an album and um, you know. That's the hope is for it to real reach real music fans and and musicians and and people who, you know. Uh hopefully will will um Appreciate uh, the album as a whole. Yes. Is, yeah. is uh, but like I said, can't can't hope for anything. Can't expect any. Can hope for things. Can't expect anything. You know.
0: Right. But yeah. I think uh, I think you're on the right track. So I ex- I am expecting great things, and I hope great things for you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, Peter. Thank you. All right, my brother. Listen, I will talk to you again soon. Sounds good. All right, brother. All right, take it easy. Later on. Thus ends another interesting and soulful conversation with a musician who I respect and admire. Liam's incredible to uh, just... Share some time with someone who has the wherewithal and the talent to create something so diverse and vast in scope—it's just humbling. I hope you all enjoyed spending time with Liam. I sure did. Obviously, I hope you enjoy the show. I hope you enjoy all—all all of it. All of the people that I bring on here, all of the uh, the interesting cast of characters that I've amassed over the past two years of. Uh, this little experiment of mine I hope you come back I hope you uh send some people my way I hope you buy the comp my compilation the the soundtrack to the podcast when it comes out it's taking a little bit longer than I wanted it to but you know I'm one guy I have kids and a 40-hour work week and then I have Another side business, then I have this, and hey man, I'm doing what I can to, you know, make the dream work here. He's been Liam. I've been Peter. You've been beautiful. And from 333 AM Studios, this has been the book of Very, Very Bad Things Podcast. Take care of each other, everyone. Good night.
1: I went back to your head. I could never not see you. Damn, we walked away from the dream. I walked away on the ghost. I hate that I still think of when you were mine. All the lights dancing, lives intertwined. Okaeritadaima oh, my mochi. life so easy.